you're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Well, fall, fall, fall. Uh, September 1st, when it hits, I, I just feel like everything is just ramping up again and life sort of comes back to normal out of the summer relaxation mode. And I, I don't know, I think my body begins to sort of tense up and get ready for action. And I, I guess preparing for a new season, I don't know. And do you ever feel like you're wondering as you're entering into this new season, fall is always that big time of just ramping up. Do you ever feel like you wonder if, you, if you're going to have the capacity for it? I do. Or the energy to be able to meet all the demands that this fall throws at you. Um, I'm on the other side of the parenting adventure. I remember those days for you young families, and I'll pray for you in the next few weeks for sure as you get school going and life going and work going and, and all that. And hopefully, as you hear from today, you'll understand where your capacity will come from. But we're in this new series, and I felt like it was important that we get a good start into this next one with a series called Greater Than. Yeah, you'll notice the greater than symbol, which is really our, our chevron, our logo, with the, uh, with the cross in the center, and uh, it will guide us uh, through this time for sure, but uh, the idea that Jesus is greater than us is going to be of paramount importance as we walk through this. Turn with me in your Bibles to the scripture, John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. John chapter 3, verse 22 to 30. All right, are you there? We do have Bibles in the pews, and if there isn't one in your pew and you need one, just reach over and grab one from somebody else. Uh, well, from the pew in front of them, that would be good. Uh, if you don't have one, as always, our invitation is for you, please take one home. We'd be glad for you to have a Bible. It's our gift to you. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This is before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of, the, uh, some of John's disciples and certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, meaning Jesus, the one that you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete he must become greater, and I must become less. This is following a chat that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the famous you must be born again conversation. And we read that John the baptizer is ministering at this place called Anon in Salim. Now, this is not your typical Jordan River scene that most of us have in mind with John. Uh, maybe you've been to one of those places in Israel Anon near Salim is a Semitic phrase, Anon meaning the springs and Salim meaning peace, similar to the Jewish Hebrew word shalom and the Arabic word 
uh, Salem. Apparently, there were seven springs within a quarter-mile radius around the area, the region known as Beth Shan. And so the exact location of at which springs they were baptizing at is not really known today. But John's not the only one in the vicinity. Jesus and his disciples are around there too. And who showed up first, we don't know, but it may or may not be important to our study today anyway. But from the reading, it appears that they were engaged in the exact same ministry, baptizing people. These springs were kind of a, a little ways from Salem, but people were apparently coming out to see the show, and some, as a result, were getting baptized. And they're still within this Judean countryside, so those who came were probably most likely Jewish people, right? I mean, it is Judea. And wherever crowds gathered, uh, like Jews, guess who else showed up? The Pharisees. Why? Well, because they were wanting to make sure that there was no competition for their Jewish teachings and probably from their popularity. We know from the other gospel records that the kind of baptism John and Jesus practiced. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so having witnessed how John and Jesus were baptizing, as we see in John chapter 3, verse 25, it says an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew on the matter of ceremonial washings. The argument probably arose due to a difference in theology. Jewish baptism had two emphases, really. One was as an initiatory rite. It was performed on Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish folk, who wanted to convert to Judaism. And the second reason for baptism was for ritual purification. It's a ritual performed by Jewish people as a means of maintaining ceremonial cleanliness. For instance, it was necessary for anyone wanting to enter the temple in Jerusalem to worship to be immersed in a mikvah. A mikvah was a pool designed for ceremonial bathing. A stairs on one side, you go down up to your neck, and you exit on the other. So this certain Jew was obviously criticizing something of what was going on. No doubt questions arose from this guy. Was John and Jesus' baptism religiously legitimate? And by what authority were they baptizing people? Well, it seems that John's disciples were kind of holding their own with this guy. But you kind of get the impression that he must have said something that sparked a need for them to go to their rabbi, John, about what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. You know, until this week, I always read this verse in a certain way, in a way that assumed that the disciples of John were a bit jealous about the amount of people that Jesus was baptizing. Now, that statement may actually have arisen out of jealousy. We don't know exactly because of the way it's written, but it's also likely that John's disciples had recognized that the attention Jesus was getting was a clue to them that John's ministry was reaching a fulfillment. It was coming to an end. 
They said, the one you testified about. What did John previously testify about Jesus? Well, if you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, it says, he, John, did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, saying, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. He said, are you, they said, are you one of the prophets? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Then in John chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, John says this, and this is among his own disciples. It says, the next day John was, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God. I can imagine this pointy finger all clothed in camel skins, and he's pointing, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he is before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Friends, John was a very unique, had a very unique role in the history of Israel, but also in the history of the world, really. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, we read, in the beginning was the Word. Verse 14 tells us that that Word was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So that was John's unique role. He was sent by God as a witness to testify concerning Jesus, the word of God, so that through Jesus the world might believe and be saved. Clearly John would have, he knew that, and clearly he would have then drawn his disciples as a rabbi. He would have taught his disciples and led them to understand that that was his role. Not to toot his own horn, but to prepare the world and all of Israel for the coming of Messiah. His disciples would have known that for sure about him. And they would have been anticipating this day, not fearing it. So probably not asking out of jealousy, but putting all the pieces together as they're watching Jesus and the disciples on the other side baptizing, they go to their rabbi John and they say, does this mean that Messiah, his time has come? Verse 26, rabbi, the one you testified about. See, they knew. Look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So how could that be out of jealousy? with what John says next. Verse 27, a person can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And you can imagine him hearing Jesus' voice over the hill. 
That joy is mine, he says, and it is now complete. John has done his job. The one given him by the Father, and it is now, it's his time to let Jesus outshine him and outpace him. And he's good with that. There isn't a competitive thought in his head or heart. There is only, only excitement and anticipation for what is to come next. And then comes the famous statement that encapsulates John's heart and mission. Verse 30, he, Jesus, must become greater, and I must become what? Less. I must, he must become greater, and I must become less. We start a new season in this calendar year. It's a new season in life for a lot of people. Things are changing. Vacation is changing into back to school, back to work, back to fall, back to routines. And some of you are wondering if you have the capacity for it. Or maybe there are other transitions you're facing. Maybe because of your own health or the health of a loved one. Maybe you have to make some pretty big decisions. Maybe you're even up against a rock in a very hard place. And you too are wondering if you have the capacity for it. I want to start this season, no matter what you're facing, to remind you that it's really not about your capacity. It's not about your capacity. That instead of focusing on your capacity to meet the demands of life, instead, like John, that you find your joy in knowing and testifying that Jesus, the light of life, has come into the world and that he shines into your darkness. And because he is the son of the living God, he is greater than the darkness and the darkness has not and can never overcome him. Amen? He is greater than your darkness. He is greater than your transitions. He is greater than your changes. He is greater than you. What I'm saying is, find your capacity in Jesus. And in order to do that, you really have to adopt a mind and a heart and a mission like that of John, which is, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Did you hear that? Let's declare it together. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. It's a great declaration. But you know what? Like me, I'm sure you became a Christian for you. If you can remember that far back. I'm sure you became a Christian for you. Because you heard Jesus could help you out. He could save you. He could bless you. He could fulfill you. He could help you overcome. He could get you to heaven one day when you die. But it doesn't take long before Jesus starts to challenge that reason for coming to him. Do you remember that? It doesn't take long before Jesus starts changing the reason for why you accepted him into your life and became a Christian. Why did you become a Christian? Did you become a Christian for you, or did you become a Christian for him? John 15, 16 says... Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit for me. See, he wants you to come to him for him, not for you.
for you is a byproduct benefit, but he wants you to come to him. Like I said, like me, you probably came, became a Christian for you. And that's okay at the beginning, you know? It really is. It's, it's okay at the beginning. That's how it, it should be. That's how it probably was at the beginning. And that's okay. But at some point, that heart and reason has to change. Jesus must become greater, and you must become less. And Jesus must become greater and greater and greater and greater. But in order for that to happen, you must become less and less and less. On a graduating, ever-graduating scale both ways. And that's what has to change in everyone who calls Jesus Savior. Has that changed, happened for you? Have you come to see that your Christian faith is not really about you? It's about him. Him becoming greater and you becoming less. If John was thinking in terms of himself becoming greater, then when he heard that more people were going after Jesus and being baptized by Jesus, he would have become worried, I think, that maybe he was becoming obsolete. That might have led to jealousy. But that was not his perspective, was it? It actually made him bolder. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less, guys. See, I didn't wake up this morning to be a somebody. I already know the greatest somebody in the cosmos. I woke up this morning knowing the same joy that John knew, that I am complete in Christ. I am not the light. He is the light of life. And I am only one of billions of witnesses to his great light. And so are you. So I don't have to try to overcome nothing in my life. He is my overcomer in everything. I don't have to try to be right or better because he is my righteousness. I don't have to try to prove anything to anybody or even myself. I, I don't have to compete with anyone because he alone is my confidence. He is who I woke up for this morning. Knowing, as it says, he was with God in the beginning because he is God. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him is life. Oh, man. You and I get to wake up every day to that being the reality of our life. He is our life. See, I woke up for one reason this morning. For him to be greater than me. In everything and in every way. But see, if, if I don't wake up for that reason, then I will spend my day, it'll just happen by causation, I will then spend my day trying to make me greater. In my own eyes and in the eyes of other people. I may not think that I'm trying to, to be greater than Jesus, but you know what? My motivations and my actions will prove that I'm in this life for me. And my day will be all about me, and it will be all about me trying to overcome on my own, be righteous on my own, be confident on my own, work things out on my own power. Look, if, if you're only in this Christian thing for what God can do for you, 
so that he can make your day better, so that he can make your life better, so that he can get you to heaven one day, then, friend, you are deceived about what the true gospel is. You miss the point. Because that's making the gospel of Jesus about me, you. See, here's why that's a problem. Because when something happens in my life and that thing overcomes me, well, guess what happens? I'm going to start doubting God's greatness. And then I've got to try to compensate somehow for what he lacks in my life. And before you know it, I will become greater and Jesus will become less. And that will happen on a graduating scale. I will avoid him. Oh, it might be just things like, you know, not going to church at first or not spending any time in the Word or not spending any time in prayer. I'll avoid him. And soon enough, I'll completely avoid him. And my day will include less and less of Jesus. And before you know it, I won't wake up any different any day of the week than someone who doesn't know Jesus. Jesus must become greater. And I must become what? Less. That sure beats survival mode, doesn't it? That, that sure beats praying until you make it. Friends, you and I need to get into the habit of waking up every morning overwhelmed, not by life, but by the real truth of the gospel that God made you for one reason, so that the greatness of God may be displayed in and through you, around you, to everyone in your life network, so that, and until the greatness of God and his capacity overwhelms you and is visible to other people. See, the greater that Christ is in your life, the more other people will see Jesus. Same as with John. Again, that's one of the reasons behind our logo back here, the chevron with the cross in it. You know, originally when we first designed it, it was supposed to remind us that Lawson is all about forward momentum. It's all about Lawson continuing to pursue the great commission to go and make disciples. But these disciples are special, and this, this logo points to that. They're disciples that know how to wake up every day with this motto and pledge. Jesus will become greater in my life today, starting right now, and I will become less. Say that with me one more time. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. In the weeks that follow today, we're going to look at how Jesus can become greater in all of our lives, in all different capacities of our life network. And I hope that you'll join us on that journey.